This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, an unofficial podcast for Leader Games Root. Episode 149, Root, Learning the Woodland Alliance, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Music by Brian Capillis. Hunter, we're back in the saddle, it feels like. It's been, it feels like uh, an entire generation has happened between when last we recorded. The world has changed underneath us. I packed everything that me and my girlfriend (laughs) owned into, we packed, I should say. I made it sound like I did all the packing, um, into a van. And then we drove, and and when I say van, I don't mean like a U-Haul van. Yeah. I mean, like a regular plain Jane Dodge Grand Caravan, <laughs> um, and drove that across the country during a pandemic, which was kind of scary. Um, I've done this bit on another podcast, but I just want to mention the quick scorecard for all of the states that I passed through as far as how seriously it felt like they were taking the <laughs> oh, pandemic. <no. laughs> Idaho, you're on watch. Bad scores, my friend. Kansas, you're on watch. You two are in the corner, and you've both been kind of naughty. Um, Got good scores for Colorado. Good job. Mm -hmm. Utah, uh, good job. Uh, Where else did... You know what sucks? that's pretty much it. You know what sucks? Your end destination, I feel like, is probably the worst on the list. (laughs) Arkansas. Arkansas? No, no. Arkansas, no, no, no. Arkansas is doing okay, actually. Okay. But my my view of it, I I had to go to... um, the Cox store to get internet. Mm. And when I was in there, everyone was wearing masks and gloves, which is not the impression I was getting from other parts of the country. So no, I, I think, I think we're doing okay. And I think, I think the, as far as like people doing their job, um, I don't know why we're opening talking about like real world. That's okay. Wear a mask. So anyways, uh, (laughs) moving on. Also, prophecy of Kings was announced. Uh, last week was a winning guide a dumb worthless winu guide and then since then you can throw the winu guide out for the record <laughs> already it's already no we could throw it out before we ever recorded it uh just because like you didn't you didn't need it you didn't need that yeah. one the, uh, the winu guide was the is the equivalent of like you know like leaving you know eggs out for a long time <laughs> and they leaving eggs out actually you don't have to put eggs in the refrigerator i want to say that that's like an american thing that we do for some reason um but it, they're like smelly bad eggs that's uh, what they are. i think the winu guide is like the penultimate episode of a tv show that was canceled mid-season where like yeah they last minute wrote a final episode and so there is going to be a finale that like kind of ties things together but the penultimate episode yes. is very much on the track of like we're keeping this thing on the rails doing pretty g- oh we're done all right cool great uh thank you thank you for that and we're signing off um yeah i i totally agree i think that's a uh, hundred percent accurate 
Um, honest, do we, do we want to start with a little disclaimer for the rest of the TI guide? Sure. Because I kind of would like to get that out yeah. there quickly. Um, so the T, the rest of the TI guides, um, we are probably going to get through them kind of quickly because there is kind of a timer of the expansion coming up. And also we would kind of like to have some episodes that kind of seal up this era of the show because we're, we're moving into uh, a new arc. Right. If you uh, remember when we first started the show, if you're an old listener, we did a thing like the last two episodes before the base game officially came out. We basically did a, like the things we'll miss from TI three, the things we won't miss from TI three. And then like we played the game for the first time as like our first episode with base game. I think we both kind of want to do a thing sort of similar to that vibe here for a bit where we're like, we're really going to be kind of signing off. Uh, with base game stuff so i think the original plan was to like do full guides for everything that's left but i think going forward they're going to be like half guides uh yeah the general theory behind most of them them is did we mess something up in the first round strategies episodes from right from two what, years what do ago. we want to change what do we want to update yeah. with those so so like arborek is one we've talked about forever being like ah, we need to fix that but like there's a sar guide next week i think is when it's going to be I'm not sweating about the SAR guide. I don't think we missed anything critical. I'm going to give it a listen. We're going to go back over it. But we're, we're, So our, our goal is to provide that kind of final resource, but not feel the need to 100% nail the strategy of that faction, because let's be real, none of us are ever playing these factions ever again. Yeah, not not in this state. I mean, we're we're not. I I I, I want to be considerate to people that might just sure. be like, I like the base game. And that's and why I'm I want the guide episodes curious. to still exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want these episodes to exist for the people that stick with base game and are looking for a strategy guide for that faction. Uh, it's just not going to be quite as much. The point here being, I noto- notoriously spent way too long on the extra guide. I'm not right. doing that. I don't. We're if, not doing even that. Even if I'm struggling with a faction, we'll probably put out a guide that is at least workable. Right, because we're basically going to have to start over with all this stuff like pretty soon anyways. Yeah. And even like, for example, I thought that we did a pretty good job with the revised Barony of Letnev guide. Yes. However, their pro- new promissory note that completely is- undoes it. Yeah, the Codex is the other nail in the coffin for the old guides because not only is uh pok gonna throw things off but literally base game components are being made available to people that can play with it that completely change the context of right that. muat right. is a huge one i'm glad we hadn't already done a muat guide and can talk about the new magmas reactor in the uh, upcoming muat guide but like some of these guides literally exist only in a point in time that is pre-pok but after codex you know what i mean like the, these are factions that exist for two months <laughs> before they are changed completely so it's really weird to write a guide for that so it's almost like so should we do the guides with non print and play components in mind and i don't really want to do that either it's about exclusion rather than just like actually talking about all the components it's It's like kind of hard yeah it's messy um so please bear with us um there is going to be lots of like fun stuff coming up and i think we're going to kind of treat the i would say for me, it's like September is going to kind of be about housekeeping a little bit, uh-huh. kind of getting getting our things in order so that we're ready to move on. And then by the time we get to October, we're full on excited for the next step yeah. Yeah. kind of uh, zone, which is, I think, where, where we both want to be. Yes. Um, but today we're not even talking about Twilight no, Imperium. No, today we're, these, these episodes will continue to exist, which is our root episodes that have been coming out. And these we are working yes. very hard on and not <laughs> phoning in or anything. Uh, th- these are... 
the we've been uh working on this woodland alliance guide i would say for a while um i pl- i used to play Woodland alliance like a number of times since the baby has come i have gotten in less games but then hunter you've been playing actually quite often i mean you play now every thursday right. two games a week at least Oh yeah, I've been playing a lot of Root, um, and there's just been such a great group that has kind of sprung up around Root, um, just a lot of people that are really, yeah. I think, excited about the game and want to push the the game further and kind of create a uh, more competitive, I think, scene for Root, yeah. and I think we're already seeing the beginnings of that, and it's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before um, we yeah, dive we- into this, the other thing I forgot to mention, um, this Saturday, August 15th, we are going to do a scenario stream. We're going to play the Codex oh, Ordinian right. scenario. Uh, so before we dive into the rest of this root stuff, uh, come hang out with us Saturday at, I think we're saying 10, 10 or 11. Keep an eye on the Twitter. Keep an eye on the Discord. Uh, may the, that, time, that start time might be a little bit up in the air. 10 or 11 Central Central time. Standard Time. That's right. Sorry. Because we are in the same time zone That's once correct. again. I have betrayed my old time zone. <laughs> I betrayed my new time zone for my old time zone, basically, <laughs> is what happened. Um, so anyways, let's get into some Woodland Alliance. Uh, again, this is just like, how do you get your feet wet? I think th- there's a lot of discussion about like how to be expert level Woodland Alliance. And I don't think that's what our goal is today. Our goal is, again... Just like how do you kind of make sure you have a good time your first few games and how do you get some basic strategies that will keep you afloat? I want to give a shout out to all the people that helped provide really, really good pre errata for this episode that helped us kind of flesh out some of our thoughts. Um, and we're not going to be referencing them throughout the episode. So we're just going to say Justin K, Marcus the Cat, AJPL, BotBot, and uh, Garrick S., Everybody, all of you had some big points that we utilized um, throughout, and you you will hear things you've said echoed uh, in this episode. Yes, for sure. Uh, let's start with the overview, though. What are what are the abilities for the Woodland Alliance? I want to point out me? the the trickiest part for me about the Woodland Alliance is like there are abilities printed at the top, but Woodland Alliance's sheet is actually kind of all over the place with like information that you need to keep in mind, and it's sort of like printed like sure, there's outrage and guerrilla war, but there's also like your removing bases rule, and there's also martial law, and there's like your sympathy, like there's just stuff all over your sheet that you're supposed to keep in mind that is not as evident on other faction sheets and and that i think was the first jarring thing for me as what alliance is getting caught off guard by a rule i didn't know existed and someone's like no that's your that's your martial law and i was like oh wait this little bullet point down here whoops forgot to look at that oh turns out it's everything that's that's a great place to start our first space cats pointer read the sheet (laughs) that actually is kind of a cool that's cool one to start with and and i'm not being condescending it, it is literally it is kind of hard a, to read yeah. all of it it's easy to miss i mean i think i missed martial law for my first couple playthroughs yeah. uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves let's start with that yes. first thing you would read so outrage is your first and maybe biggest deal ability maybe uh with with what we're going to say is the strategy for woodland alliance Outrage is going to be huge for you. Uh, outrage is when a player removes sympathy or moves any warriors into a sympathetic clearing, that player must add a matching card from their hand to your supporters. If they cannot, they show you their hand and you draw a card and add it to your supporters. The big point here is this is the first statement of like the economy of woodland alliance which is to say let's already get out there spreading sympathy is the name of the game it's kind of the only thing we care about is spreading sympathy and we'll get to the mechanics of that later but outrage is your way of knowing that this is the only way people can slow you down and they cannot 
stop you by removing your sympathy because of outrage, because literally dealing with your sympathy refuels you for future sympathy. So this is like the whole engine that exists within Woodland Alliance. It's just like, no, I keep I keep trucking. I cannot be stopped. Well, okay, but I got to ask you a question now, Matt, because I am a newborn baby and I these eyes are are brand new. Um, what is what do they mean by supporters? What does that mean? What so is supporters? on your uh, sheet, you have so you'll have your normal hand of cards, right? Start of the game, you draw three cards. But start of the game, you also draw three cards into your supporters uh, section hand. Into, it's like yeah, a it's like a second hand, hand you got, and it goes face down on your thing and. More or less, the abilities of the cards in your supporters no longer matter. You cannot use them for crafting or anything like that. Uh, they only exist for their suit. Uh, and that suit is what helps you spread sympathy during um, your bird song, which we will get to. But essentially, uh, your supporters are a, can- car- a hand of five cards, or eventually as many cards as you can fit, uh, that lets you spread sympathy to related clearings. So... Uh, when people attack you, move into your stuff, or kill your sympathy, they put cards directly into that. So it's important to note, because it's supposed to be matching, or a bird card, or then you get a random card, when they take out your fox-clearing sympathy, they only make you better at retaking that fox-clearing sympathy. Yar. Yar. Or, if, um, if they do not have a card of the matching suit, they have to show you their, whole um, hand. their hand, <laughs> and then you get to draw a card into your supporters. Yeah. So you 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 always get something. Right. You, there's no way to really get around giving you stuff whenever they destroy or even just move into your territory. Right, right. Uh, your second ability is also quite good. Uh, spark notes to this uh, guide. Woodland Alliance is really good. Hunter, in our, as we were writing it, you said this is like the Jolnar faction guide of Root, where it's yeah. just like, yes. this guy, these th- this this stuff is pretty actually straightforward because how uh, freaking good this faction is. So very, uh, very Guerrilla War is in battle as defender. You use the higher role and the attacker uses the lower role. So normally the defender is the one getting the one while the attacker gets the three. It's the opposite. Uh, for Woodland Alliance, which mostly means it really sucks to attack the Woodland Alliance. It's very difficult to come out ahead. You have to come with a huge swath of stuff and expect to take out very little. Uh, I think we read it at the end of the uh, Eerie episode, uh, a little bit of errata about like the stats of like how that works out, but it kind of turns into Woodland Alliance like on average, barely uses loses any units. I mean, it's like 50% of the time or something like that, you, you lose zero or one unit. Um, and the idea yeah. that you're ever going to lose three units never happens. Now, you also kind of never have units on the board, generally speaking, until like the late game. So uh, the big key here is you're mostly using this to defend sympathy or bases with like a single warrior. That's when guerrilla right. warfare becomes handy. Um, the well, idea I want to push back on a, on what you just said a little sure. bit there, uh, because you're certainly going to have units on the board even in like the mid game. Yeah especially like how, how we're re- going to recommend that you right, play. Right. Um, but the idea is that overall you have about, I think it's 10. You have warriors? 10 total right? warriors, whereas everybody else has yeah. like 20 to 30. You have 10. Right. And, and also half of your warriors will be used for something else yes. um, that doesn't have. So you're, you're very kind of limited to the amount of warriors you'll, you will ever have on the board compared to like some of the other factions. Yeah. But because of guerrilla warfare, Three warriors defending a position 
is a pretty sizable that's, defense. That's actually. unstoppable, <laughs> right? I mean, even yeah. with extra hit, not unstoppable. I mean, uh, yeah, three warriors with a sympathy and a base means you're not losing that base. Even if they get yeah. like an extra hit, like they, they just can't. It's so much to to deal with. Uh, so guerrilla warfare is keeps your um, loosely defended stuff even decently, like better defended than you think it is. And I think this is a big yes. hurdle to get over, even for myself, that I'm still dealing with, is I get like a base on the map and I'm like, oh, but I'm really afraid of like everybody attacking this. You have to remember people don't want to attack you it sucks it hurts them more than it hurts you so generally speaking they're going to find other ways to deal with you it's not advisable yes. for them to attack your stuff it is better for them to what we'll get into is they they generally just try to wall you off and prevent you from being able to go any further rather than like actually killing all your stuff yeah so let's um, get let's, into let's their bird song. Uh, yeah their their bird song is so you'll start out the game with nothing you have three cards in your supporters you have three cards in your hand and nothing on the game board at all and you have to basically on your first action decide where am i gonna go um so your first thing that's in your bird song is actually something you won't do in your first turn um and ideally will do in your second turn but i want to skip that for now and i want to jump to what your second action or ability during birdsong is which is your spread sympathy so this is the first thing you will do uh and you will hear a lot of players talk about this could be like one of the most important things any player does in any game of root is is where does your first sympathy go uh because there's a couple things you're trying to keep in mind the main idea is first off spreading sympathy is where we get all of our points um Mm -hmm. you you can do this any number of times in your birdsong. You spend a number of supporters listed on the sympathy track, which I'll get into, uh, to place sympathy adjacent to sympathetic clearings. If possible, supporters must match the target clearing. So that if possible thing is to say, if you don't have an available card, you can't spread sympathy. It doesn't say like you can hop, skip, and jump over clearings. Like once you, after you place your very first sympathy, all sympathy must be adjacent to other sympathy. Uh, it's the only way to spread it. Um, and that that part about how many cards it is, you'll see at the bottom of your sheet, you have tokens. And above that, there's a little line with a card on it. So your first three sympathy that you spread only costs you one card of that suit. So if you want to expand to a rabbit clearing, you got to spend one rabbit card. After your third sympathy, it's two cards per. After your, uh, you know, after six, it's three cards per. And let's talk about uh, your uh, martial law here is where you must spend another matching supporter if the target clearing has at least three warriors of another player. So this is where uh, people will try to wall you off because they can turn that very cheap one card per sympathy into twice as expensive. Two cards just to get a single sympathy out there that isn't getting you hardly any points. It becomes very, very expensive. So you'll start to see players start to put stacks of three all around your sympathy so that it becomes very difficult for you to move out. Um, this usually happens right. like in the mid game, though. It's very difficult to make that happen like round one, which is why we want to get off the ground running round one and and su- spread as much sympathy as possible while also setting ourselves up to revolt, ideally turn two, maybe turn three if if the card draw is really bad. Um, so let's talk about what revolt is so that we can understand better how these two things kind of feed into each other. Revolt, which you can also technically do any number of times, but I basically never advise revolting twice in a turn unless it's like a game-winning thing that's happening. Uh, But you spend two supporters matching a sympathetic clearing. You remove all enemy pieces there. This is a nuke. You fire off a nuke and kill everything in that territory. And then you place a matching base 
and warriors there equal to the total number of matching sympathetic clearings. Generally, your first base is really only going to get like one warrior, two if you're lucky. Uh, and then you place a warrior in the officer's box. So now you have established your first base. Um, Hunter, you've been playing a lot recently and you've seen um, various uh, styles of first bases, but I think there's a pretty well agreed upon rule for what that first base needs to have. The first base, you really want to make sure that there are as many paths to that first base as uh, possible, which, I mean, normally, uh, you know, unless in the future there's some sort of map with, like, more pathing, we're talking, like, three paths yeah. is what we're looking for. Right. We want we want a base um, with our little, our dudes, our, our little slices of, of toast, as they kind of look, <laughs> our, our, our bread boys, Bread or bread, bread peoples, I should say. Um, they are sitting there in the middle of the map, and they have a lot of different avenues they could go down. Because, like we've already mentioned, martial law is kind of your your stop your the thing that you're going to have to find a way around. Mm. Um, and people are going to when you put down your first sympathy if they're playing against you well, um, they're going to want to trigger martial law against you. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because we haven't talked about military operations sure, sure. yet. But and trust will. me, this will make sense yeah, whenever yeah. we get the, the, uh, further into it. The tricky thing about Woodland Alliance is honestly in the in the early game, like your first two turns, the bird song is kind of the only thing that you do. Um, it's the only the only stuff that is actually strategic decisions, and everything else is kind of like. And then I finish my turn, I draw a card. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so it's it's not until you get that first base down that you start actually having even options, and and it's not until that base is down that your daylight really has more meaningful decisions to it. Um, so generally speaking, for this first base, what we are looking for, like Hunter said, three paths would be ideal. We are also not worrying about the nuke aspect of placing that first revolt. That is not important. Round, you know it for your very first base maybe you'll get them on right. the second one but the first base you just need to exist you need it to be there and you need officers to get out there and a mistake i've made in the past is thinking that this first base also needs to be somewhat protected by itself like i've done the base where it only has like two available clearings because i'm like well i don't want people to get in there and destroy the base but that's when you, you mean positionally positionally protected. yeah like yeah yeah not, yeah yeah not not anything else just literally there's not as much access to it and it's out of the way like one time i did it on the mountain map where it was like tucked behind um some tunnels so people couldn't quite get there early game i was just like i just want to make sure this thing survives but that's me forgetting that guerrilla war as an ability, rules. And people will actually have quite a lot of difficulty dealing with your base early game. Yeah. So don't be yeah, afraid of that. True. So just get the base out wherever it makes sense. Um, and specifically, yeah. too, like we said uh, earlier with the sympathy, you're, you want to put it in player's way. Um, now, there's, I think, debate about how in the way, but I think Hunter and I both kind of agree that the best option is not to put the sympathy literally like in the center of their base of operations, but to put it kind of adjacent to that, you want to put it right. where they're going to go, not where they already are. Um, yeah. If you put it where they are, it be it does become a thing where they're like, I'm really terrified of the nuke, and now I have to go kill that sympathy, um, and they'll just deal with it. Whereas if it's in their way, they might move through it, give you a card, and not attack it. <laughs> um, right. And and even if uh, they are attacking it, like it's it's... I don't know, it's out in the outskirts, you're, you're kind of still able to get stuff into new positions because most bases are in the corners and you want to be out in the center of the map. Right. Um, I, I just feel like, I, I just want to add a little a little bit of something. Um, 
I, I think new players get distracted by the potential, by the nuke aspect yeah. of the fact that when the base goes down, you remove all of the enemy pieces in the area. Um, don't get distracted by that. Like it, it's tempting to feel, and, and I even felt early on when I was playing Woodland Alliance, like if I wasn't destroying anything with my revolt, mm-hmm. that I was somehow playing suboptimally. Right. Uh, you are not. It's just a cool extra thing you can do. Don't. You should worry way more about having a base um, in the correct position, the center of the map, um, than you should worry really about yeah. anything else. Yeah. Um, so let's get through the daylight and evening so we can get a better understanding of why this base is supposed to exist where it is, because we really got to get into yeah. military operations. So daylight uh, is when you craft using sympathy, which makes... Woodland Alliance, ridiculously good at crafting. Um, you yeah. basically are just very not easy. restricted. It's very easy to get whatever clearings you need to get the stuff, you, especially with the Exiles and Partisans deck where a lot of the stuff required is only like one clearing. It's a little bit more difficult in the base game, but also base game stuff, there's less that you really care about crafting, whereas in Exiles and Partisans, all kinds of stuff is good for you and you can do any of it at any time. We will talk more about that in our craft services segment later on mm-hmm. uh, of like what specifically you're going to craft, but... Um, I do want to point out, don't don't worry about it too much right now. Um, you're going to be able to craft anything you want. There's not a huge need to save cards right now to like save that juicy thing that you want to craft because it's like, you know what? You're going to get more card draw later on. Uh, the focus right now is mobilizing and getting the early bases and getting that early sympathy down in good positions. Um, so don't worry so much about the crafting. Those crafting points will come later on. You don't need to like overly plan for them. Um, the only stuff I would keep is like maybe a bird ambush or I guess you could keep like coins where it's like three points. I don't want to get rid of this because it would be nice to be able to have like a three point swing later. But even that, if it's a card I can tell I can use in early sympathy spreading, I'm going to throw it into the supporters, which is your second ability during your daylight is just mobilize. And for the first like three turns, usually as Wooden Alliance, I'm literally dumping every single card into my supporters because it just, it doesn't matter. Like I, I don't need to do anything else with these cards besides get that sympathy where it needs to go and get my first base up. Yeah, your card economy as Woodland Alliance is pretty strange. I think compared to, other factions in that you are drawing a lot of cards Mm -hmm. and people are putting cards in your secondary hand, the supporter's hand. Um, But you also have a need, like you have a pretty big need to, to use your cards because your cards are the kind of um, the, the coins that you're spending to basically do everything that is important to you. So I would say, yeah, it's funny that you bring up the coin thing because it's like early game, it's it's kind of a bummer situation when you get one of those because it's like you probably need that suit in your yep. supporters. Right. But three points is three points, and the thing about the coin is that if somebody else crafts all the coins, you don't get, it. get yeah, it. That's true. Yeah. What's what's interesting to me about the whole economy of what's going on here, and the reason we're harping on like just dump it all into supporters early. Obviously, don't. I mean, you, you can only do five until you get your first base, which is the other reason you want that first base fast. Is that's when you can start really loading up your supporters' hand. Um, but the mm-hmm. point is, if you are spending all of your early cards on spreading as much sympathy as possible, let's say we're trying to get four or five sympathy down as fast as possible, right? Which is going to cost like a number of cards, right? The first three are three cards. The second two are two cards a piece. So like we require lots of cards in our supporters to spread sympathy via cards. Um, But what that does is once that sympathy is everywhere, 
it starts paying for itself, right? Once oh, the sure. sympathy is down, anybody that deals with the sympathy just puts cards right back into the supporters, which is why it is worthwhile to burn the early cards just to get the sympathy down. Because then your supporter engine kind of takes care of itself. And then you there can worry about crafting. There was a specific pre point wh- where the way that, and I forget who it was, um, but the way they worded it was uh, throwing supporters down is always a good investment. Yes. So even if you feel like you're throwing away some cr- some cards that are pretty good as far as crafting goes um it's not you're not throwing it away because it's 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 all investment and your your engine earlier matt said something that i kind of wanted to push back upon which was the idea that that you get all of your points from getting supporters down i i tend to think of it more like your supporters are a strong base for points you're going to probably craft eventually um for some extra points um but you basically it's kind of like if you if you wanted to go like a heavier crafting woodland alliance which is kind of an odd idea but um if you were i feel like you you would just be kind of passing up a very solid investment which is going for supporters and getting the points that way versus something that like may or may not get you across the finish line well the big thing too is you are a snowball you are the quintessential snowball faction which means you need to get you need to get that framework first for the snowball to be able to actually take off like the only way you pull off the snowball victory which is like can be like a 14 point swing like it can you will look like you're gaining no points in the early game and when you play against new players it's not going to seem fair the first time Wendell Alliance wins uh, because they're going to win on like a huge point swing and everybody else is going to be like what the heck we were all at 12 and then you were at eight and then in two turns you just won Uh, yeah that definitely happens and then as players get to learn how to deal with them they figure out ways, but they're still really hard to deal with. So, uh, but Hunter's point too about like the sympathy spread not being your only avenue for points is a, is an important point that we can now get into, which is the, the last thing you can do during daylight is to train officers. So officers are your warriors that sit on your own faction sheet and unlock your ability to do military operations in the evening. And this is where all of our late game score potential works. So yes. early game... Even like at maybe two turns after getting the first base up, like you spend two turns getting the base, maybe three turns if, it, if you're unlucky. Uh, and that is all through the supporter stack, getting card draw, doing all that stuff. Once the base is out, you start to shift into this military operations focused style of play. Um, so in evening, your, your officers, you can tap each officer to move, recruit a warrior at a base, battle, and organize, which is where you remove the warrior and then place a sympathy. And again, you can't place sympathy if there's already sympathy there. But but the main thing you're going to be doing with these uh, warriors that are on the board is that organize. In fact, I'm going to even say uh, as like a ranking, the battle, don't, you're not going to do that. <laughs> you should basically, there's a couple instances where you might have to, but... Uh, because you are always the higher roller as defender, you are better off always making other people waste actions to attack you, and then you get the better die roll than it is for you to burn your very limited supply of officers on doing battles. Yeah, you would like to not have to battle, I think is the yes. the, the more accurate way to put right. it. It's like, we'd, we'd hope to not have to waste any actions with fighting. If they're playing, if, if your opponents are playing against you well, you might have right, to, right. is really the thing. Totally. Um, so the big thing, the big, uh, mechanism that we're going to start winning with 
in the late game is essentially the recruit a warrior, move that warrior out to a uh, territory without any sympathy, and then organize that uh, sympathy. So um, our goal with our officer's box is to get maybe like three to four of our warriors in the officers. I like to do three and then let my second base be my fourth warrior. That's kind of my goal, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. I'll do whatever I have to do to make the game work, but um, I would like to have only um, trained two officers, and then that's about the right time for me to put a second base down, and I get my fourth officer, and then I'm like, done. I don't want more officers than that if I can help it um, for a while. A fifth officer in the late, late game can be useful, but is... Again, I make that more of like a swing round, like I'm winning this time, because if you have five officers, you only have five warriors. And again, you have 10 total units. So everything you put in officers is a unit not on the board to help you spread sympathy by organizing. I would say I think it depends a little bit on the situation you find yourself in. I think there are there's room for overloading the officer's box mm-hmm. if you're in a situation where you're going to be burning a lot of the warriors anyways. And also remember, you lose a lot of warriors whenever um, you lose a base. That's something important to know. You lose half of your officers right. um, every time a base is removed. Um, so How much would it, you say, yeah, Hunter, are you expecting to lose a base within a game? Like we, when we talk about Erie, we talk about like you probably plan for a turmoil. How much are you seeing Alliance players plan to lose a base? Um, it's interesting that you say it because the, the YouTube video I'm putting up this week is, uh, actually not showing off one of us playing with Lynn Alliance. It's showing off a uh, frequent, uh, root collaborator. I would call him bot bot playing as Woodland Alliance. And in that game, he actually plans to lose a base, which is crazy. Um, I feel like that's kind of a higher level of play than we can speak to in this like learning aspect of it. I, I would say if you're starting out, you would um, hopefully just not lose any bases. You probably will. But I feel like that's why I think the three to four officers um, is not the rule. I think it's I think it's probably a wider range of more like a three. I, I mean, I, I, I this sounds pretty petty now that I'm saying it, but I feel like it's like three to five, basically, or three, maybe even three to six if it's a weird situation. Yeah, I like the idea of being able to overcompensate a little bit on the officers. Um, yeah. Even just to be able to take a hit if you do lose a base. Like if you're playing yeah. a little bit looser, you can take that hit and survive. And even more importantly, the notion that you're, you are cycling through the units on the board does seem like a big deal that i think that's a like that's kind of that feels bigger brain play to me like that that maybe a little bit but but it makes sense and if people start doing it it will click i think relatively quickly where it's like you you don't need more than like four warriors on the map at a time because they're running out organizing and getting put back into your supply also if you have plenty of officers this is just this is kind of i think kind of a minor point to be i hope any don't get stuck on this one i guess is what i'm trying to say (laughs) but uh but if you have a lot of officers, like more than three, if you have like five or six, um, yes, you only have four four breads for the um, for the map. Yeah. But your ability to move them around and organize them frequency right. frequently, and then also replenish immediately, right. like is uh, a, 
it's just a lot more viable right. than if you're kind of just like on the margin there of like, I have three actions I can do yeah. and three people out. I think I'm so afraid to out. end up with too many officers, but you're right. You can just turn it into recruit, move, organize, recruit, move, organize. Like, like it just gives you the opportunity to recruit again. The more you have in officers, the more you're just doing recruiting rather than like, yeah. oh, I got to like recruit this turn and then next turn I can move, organize, move, organize. Like you don't fall into that trap. You can actually do a ton of stuff in one turn if you end up with that yeah. six. Let's go a little bit further into the military operations themselves just to sort of, um, you know, we've, we've talked about uh, the the idea of this moving and organizing, but I want to circle back around to martial law and why now this is so important so martial law again was where we have to spend extra cards for that card draw sympathy uh the the supporter stack sympathy and that has its place up until like we've kind of expressed this point now when we switch into officer mode like it's it, it does become two it becomes four cards per or one single warrior that's like the point of this late game swing is you turn it into just this kind of dirt cheap ability to spread uh three points four points four points four points like and i've seen woodland alliances score all four of those in one turn or like yeah. th the last three you know 12 points just off of sympathy alone you right. add one or two crafted cards into that you're done and and especially this late game potential of if we put all the work on the front end where now we have like this steady flow of supporters every new card that's been added to our hand is a card that is used for crafting, right? I didn't have yeah, to save totally. anything because now I have crafting cards. So that is when I do that 12-point sympathy swing plus five more points worth of crafted items or whatever. Like, you really do pop off in those last couple uh, rounds, and it, it's it's very scary. And that's that, more than anything, is what we're aiming for. Well, the other thing that we do in our evening that I... Um, I well, can, like, can I add one yeah, thing to move do. real quick? Um, the, the choke point with being able to move is make sure that you are managing your rule correctly. Mm -hmm. That's the problem is that mm -hmm. you, so, so we can get martial law can kind of make the early game a little bit rough. Whenever we don't have military operations, we can't yeah. move our supporters around and, or, and sorry, they're not supporters, but move our, um, move our units around and then have them organize. Um, so the other thing though, that we can run into in the mid and late game is people just like stacking up yeah. units and making it so that we can't move far enough uh, to organize where we need to in order to get as many, right. um, you know, supporters down or sympathy down, yeah. I should say. In in the craft services section, we'll talk about a couple cards that can help us fix that problem. But beyond that, it is going to be an issue of like fighting through the stacks of other people's units is is going to be a nuisance. And I don't I don't know what like what is even the if they just wall you off. The solution is kind of like you have to jump on the other side of them with supporters. I don't know. You, you just can't move past that wall and you can't really do combats. So I don't know what you start to threaten there. I, I guess that's kind of when you that's what that third base and even in some cases that second base is for is the threat of another nuke. Right. That's when the nuke actually matters from your revolt. Right. You don't care totally. about the third base. You care about I have to blow a I path clear through this big stack. so that I can yeah. get into the rest of the board. And that's that's like the only reason I, I ever throw that third base down is when I'm just trying to break through the wall that they've built up around me. Totally agree. Totally agree. So uh, the other thing, too, that I think is a, a minor point, but is one I want to drive home here. The last thing we do in evening is draw a card. I think this is one of the like low-key, super big strengths of Woodland Alliance is you can 
very often get that second base down in turn two. Like, it, it, it happens without too much difficulty. And that second base, each of your bases on the board is what gives you more card draw. And I feel like Woodland Alliance, more than a lot of other factions, get that, like, additional card draw much quicker. Maybe they don't have as high of a ceiling as a lot of factions because it's it can be difficult to get three bases down. But I compare it to Eerie, how long it takes to get, like, three card draw as the Eerie compared to I'm already at two card draw on my second turn as the Woodland Alliance is a big deal. This is why that card draw stuff really doesn't matter as much. Obviously, as much card draw as you can get is great, but when we get to crafting, that's why we don't have as big of a focus on, like, I gotta get the cards that get me card draw, because you know what? You're probably gonna be okay, because you have so many tools to operate outside of needing cards directly in your hand, and you can get your card draw up very, very fast. Um, so, just just a minor point for that. Let's get into, and we've kind of already been talking about it. Honestly, it's funny how there's really only, like, one great way to play Woodland Alliance. I don't feel like people talk about like other crazy, you know, wild strategies to try new stuff. It, it really is sort of like the same idea for anybody who sits down to play as Woodland Alliance, but let's... Well, I don't I don't know that... Uh, I think really there's nuances. The factions in general kind of have that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like it depends on the faction, but I think a lot of them I guess kind I'm, of vi- very lean, lean in one specific Yeah, in direction. my head, I'm comparing it to something like i mean the eerie there's what leader are you starting with yeah. and that's kind of a big opener moles it seems like is really experimental right now. yeah moles is experimental cats kind of has this like there's the way to play and then there's like these people saying like no no no, reform the way you're thinking about it do it this like but i just feel like woodland alliance is very straight laced which is start adjacent to the control factions you know get next to where you think moles or eerie or cats are going to go and and be walking through your stuff uh Look for the best possible spot to put a base with the sor- the cards you have in your supporters where you can get a base with three potential paths. And then once you have that base, get as many officers as you need, three to five, whatever it is, um, while also, for now, spreading the rest of your sympathy that only costs like two cards, but mm-hmm. building up those officers so the second the rest of the table has caught up and can kind of start to box you in, that's when your officers can start to spread out. And then once they get enough units to box you in that way, that's when you plan your your like next revolt or whatever. Um, right. But for a while, you're probably only on one base because you really only need to be able to defend one base. The second you get a second base is when you're spread a little thin. When you get your third base, you're spread way too thin to be able to defend all of them. You're definitely going to lose a base. Well, I really like the the way you're putting it of the third base might just be more about it being a nuke than it is about it being you using it like right. a base or, or really caring even about the card draw. Yeah. And Maybe ideally that's that happening third base knowing yeah. it's going to get destroyed. Ideally that's happening your last turn, right? You're, you, sure. oh, you totally. set off the nuke to then break the officers through to score those last 12 points or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So I, I think when you do the third base, you are rarely thinking of that lasting <laughs> into another mm-hmm. round or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that's the it's pretty straight laced. Honestly, it's pretty basic how you how you find the victory uh, as as Wood Alliance. I don't know, Hunter. Any any other like things you can glean before we get into crafting and and getting lost in those weeds? Is there any other things that you? Well, feel like I want to make sure that we're emphasizing that you want to so like you you want to start in the middle. Um, all of the area control factions are going to start on in the corners, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you're you're going to want to expand your support in a direction that is going to run into one of the area control factions. If there are, you know, you've got four corners of the map, 
we're going to want to get in the way of the moles or the eerie or the cats um, because we want to build up that supporter flow. You know, there's like a, a tempo to it, I'm sure, an ideal tempo of just like trying to get them to enter your your clearings with support, uh, even just having them destroy your supporters is all fine. That's all a good right. investment. So right. so you want that. You want them to have to move there too. That's great to yes. kind of get then the double, double whammy. Up. If they right. move and destroy, that's great. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, let's get into it. It's time to go to Craft Services Desk and check out what they got on sale over all there. Right, crafty. It's Crafty Corner. Uh, did we? Uh, do we have to come up with a third new title for it now? Is every single week... Every root episode has a different craft uh, segment. Craft services, uh, arts and crafts. Arts and crafts. Hey, welcome to arts and crafts. Uh, We're here to talk about all the stuff that you're going to craft is the Woodland Alliance. Um, It's really funny that so Woodland Alliance is an amazing crafting faction to the extent that there's really not even that much for us to talk about in terms of like specialty stuff to be on the lookout for crafting because you can so easily just craft anything you want. So just like go for it, dude. But I, I, there's a couple we want to call attention to because of um, the specific issues we've kind of outlined so far, right? Right. Which what what what, uh, what deck should we start with here? Uh, let's let's get the base deck out okay. of the way. There's yeah, there's you know, not less to talk about. Uh, not as interesting. We're really just going to call out. Um, it's cool that this is. I feel like this is more the theory crafting than this is like actually hardcore good sure. stra- strategy. But the favor cards. Um, you don't telegraph them like everybody else. It, yeah. It's not readable that you have a favor card because your sympathy tokens, they just need to go everywhere, right? right? Like, it, it would be hard to say, like, oh, this Woodland Alliance player is specifically trying to get three fox to use yeah. favor. That just sounds, like, very hard to read. Right, right. So, therefore, even harder to stop or predict. Yeah. Uh, so, favor is going to be... And also, you know, we talked about the potential problem you might run into of there being like a giant glob of people that are kind of blocking you from mm-hmm. spreading sympathy further. Uh, favor might fix this, fix right. that for you. Obviously um, favor cards are always huge and good, but yeah. you are just one of the rare factions that can actually do it. Like you can really get a lot of factions have a lot of difficulty. Like Hunter said, you don't get telegraphed and you can get that sympathy all over the place. So it really isn't that difficult to, you know, pop off a favor card and yeah, you should be looking for it to be that kind of late game, moment of all right let's break these defenses so that i can spread these officers as smoothly as possible yeah i i'd even go so far as to say like you don't really there's not a very good reason to like obliterate an area control faction early game yeah no definitely so like if you had a favor card in the early game you're like wow this would like totally wreck so and so you kind of have to like balance that against like all of the supporter cards you would have gotten had that faction had Had more pieces to move into your stuff. Like it's kind of, kind of the arithmetic is actually kind of tough, but late game in the situation we just spelled out, I think it's like obviously good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The other one in the base game deck that we like is the, the armors, which requires only a single Fox. So you're definitely going to be able to have access to this and it's in battle. You may discard this to ignore all rolled hits taken which is your base saver that's how you save your base when someone does decide to come knock it down you can just prevent it if if you you got the worst roll you've ever seen on the base you needed to keep boom save yourself the trouble Uh, yeah so and and everything else in the base game deck is pretty 
simple again there's a there's a lot of card draw that we aren't like dying to get i mean if you want to craft it do it I, it's not, none of them are bad we're not saying anything's bad it's just a matter of there's nothing else worth calling attention to exiles and partisans is where things get much more interesting as well is I, always before the case. we move on for the sure. basic i do want to say like as a rule of thumb it's not the worst thing to have extra actions as um woodland alliance yeah. in some ways your action economy is a little bit limited right um depending on where your game is at it could be very limited if right. you just lost a base at an inopportune moment um so like those are things to like keep in mind but at, like like we've i just want to emphasize that in general at the beginning of the game most of our cards are just going into our supporter hand anyways yeah. um and until we kind of get a foothold we don't really have the like extra bandwidth right to like start focusing on crafting cards that's, that's what we're like, always weighing every craft decision against yeah. other factions it's like oh i need to craft this ability but but the early to mid game woodland alliance is very much like is this a good crafted card or would i be better off with this revolt or another sympathy mm -hmm. over here or whatever so yeah you are kind of always deciding between mobilizing cards from your hand into your supporters or crafting and i think just a lot of those cards end up being better uh mobilizers Yes, totally. So Exiles and Partisans deck, I think our number one focus is dealing with the rule issue, right? We have two cards that specifically really help us there, and that, that's, our, that's what help, prevents our late game swings, like we just talked about. And instead of having to nuke the board with a Revolt or a Favor card, we can actually just get around it with cards like Corvid Planners and Soup Kitchens, both of which easily doable again we have sympathy all over the place all we need is two sympathy tokens on the board to do corvid planners and we need one of each to do soup kitchens i don't want to start this trend where we screw up all the time and say soup kitchens is good and then the errata is always no soup kitchens is bad but i think hunter and i both agreed that this time soup kitchens isn't might too bad actually be good <laughs> might actually <laughs> good before a little lines hopefully we don't just keep saying that i mean next time next guide we'd be doing is a uh, vagabond which can't do it so that's fine but but soup kitchens your tokens now count toward rule and each of your tokens counts twice this is convenient to getting your units to move around the table but it's also doubly convenient to really screw up your opponents uh late game turns when they're also trying to make big swinging plays and you all of a sudden lock off their rule you know someone who right someone like cats who is maybe kind of spread thin and isn't working around the board in a big ball rule can be an issue for them and if you turn all of your sympathy tokens into double rule you could actually cut them off from a lot of territory yeah it's still limited though yes. i mean it's not like two is a huge advantage over no. one and you can't have well yeah you, you're not you're not gonna be able to get you're not gonna be able to double up on sympathy anywhere so i could see like you know go ahead that that was your errata right there i just eroded it <laughs> right here on but the, the point no the so. point what i'm saying is you're turning zero rule into two rule oh, a right. single yes, unit exactly. a single unit that needs to move through it, it, it flips both ways their stuff is now diff more difficult if they only have a single unit they don't get to walk through it and your officers or your warriors on the map now have extra little pathways to walk through opponents that only made a stack of let's say three well if you get in there with two warriors and then move out again like that that opens up your pathways to get more rule the better one is corvid planners corvid planners is great and that's because while moving you ignore rule that's like the absolute number one thing we want to be able to do yeah so. dude that card like that card is devastating yeah that, that's now, like a, everybody now I don't else know how you even stop them yeah everybody else is saving their saboteurs to deal with you having corvid planners like that is a yeah. thing the table needs to worry about right i agree 
Um, what else we got? False uh, Orders. That's so False good. Orders is another one. It's sort of the same problem, but in that different goofy way, right? False Orders is in Birdsong, you may discard this card to move half of an enemy's warriors round up from any clearing, treating yourself as that player and ignoring rule. Basically, I can move the eerie stack out of the way so that I can march my warriors straight through and do my big swing. Right, All of these right. cards have the same idea in mind of just like get the stuff out of the way so that you can move through and, and do stuff. Uh, the last one, though, is a little bit different. And Hunter, you might have to explain it a bit more because I think you understand why this one is decent or good better than I do. And it's propaganda. This bureau. one. Yeah, this one's a, I just want to preface this, though, with this one's, I think, a little more questionable than the others. But I think sure. there's some good potential sure. here. Uh, and it requires three of any. Uh, so you only need three sympathy tokens out, so that makes it a good mid-game card. Once in daylight, you may spend a card to remove an enemy warrior from a matching clearing and place a warrior there. I mean, the big obvious thing to me is just it's saving me a recruit action. But what else? Do you, is there anything else you feel like you're getting out of it besides the free recruit? It's saving you a recruit action and saving you a move action. True. Like, okay. Mean, I, I, they're starting outside of my base. Okay. Yeah. So in my limited action economy, I'm I've now opened up two officers. To not yeah. have to move and or recruit and then move to then organize. It's I also just a sympathy token there. we can place outside of our network of sympathy tokens. If we are being let's let's coin the term blockading, because okay. it seems like that's the way people play against Woodland Alliance. Right. Is the idea is to try and blockade them. Um, if I can use Propaganda Bureau to get a sympathy token outside of my network of tokens, it also opens up other future possibilities uh, via, and you do it in Birdsong, right? Yes. So yeah. uh, now I can even uh, spend no, daylight, for my supporters Ooh, I, almost, I almost messed that up. So it is right after you oh. spend your sympathy. Yeah, yeah, it's daylight. Oh, okay. So, but still, next next turn, it's even, it, it's still possibly going to be there as an option. Right, right. Uh, but I think I think even just the idea that it saves you two actions is probably worth it, depending on where we're at in the game. I actually feel like our, our last section here, or not our last section, but our next section is pitfalls. And it does feel like we have kind of already addressed it right. in other sections. We've we've definitely established like what you are worried about. Yeah. But um just to kind of reemphasize, do not Pick a bad start. Pick a good start. But don't don't, <laughs> don't start okay, on the I outside. Wanna, the, don't start in the corner. The best way I can exemplify this is in a game I played not too long ago, and I, we sort of went over it. But I di I in my head where I was at with it was, I really don't want to lose a base. That sounds really scary. It freaks me out yeah. the idea of losing a base. So I'm gonna put it somewhere kind of off the beaten path. I want to get it out of the way so that people have to work really hard to get to it. Right. Oh, I'm going to be on the outskirts of the village to be able to actually then infiltrate later. What that does ends up being two different things. One, it takes too long to get your officers recruited at the base, moved out and put somewhere relevant where they're mm -hmm. clearing sympathy. And the second thing it does is it's putting your starting sympathy in an area where people just aren't going, which means you can't ever get your supporters online. You have this huge difficulty ever getting the supporters started. So that that's what that pitfall causes. And it can be hard to even like understand what's happening. It's different than like turmoiling Aziri, where it's like, oh, I did a bad thing, and obviously it's all falling apart. Woodland Alliance, you just might have a game where you don't see as big of a swing, and you don't realize where you messed up, right? It's not as immediate right. of an effect. It all starts with where that first base is. And you can feel those effects if you're really paying attention from where, what you're able to do later. The idea is for that base to be in someone's face, 
so that they're constantly clearing the sympathy kind of around it. So you're always refilling your supporters and then refilling that sympathy back on the board until you get an opportunity to take a path that you haven't gone down already, right? You went one path with sympathy, mm-hmm. the second path with sympathy, the third path is where all the officers are going to go. And probably one of those gets opened up for a couple opportunities for more officers to go that way you know two of your three paths are just being spread sympathy through organizing that's true so so start critical and the other thing is uh you know just don't get blockaded which right. uh do, do we all like that term i like that term that, maybe that could be like a new <laughs> official a fan term. of your turn blockading the woodland alliance blockading and, and if the you woodland see alliance. that the other people are are working against that that's when you start trying to fish through the deck to find those cards that help you break through the blockades right that's yeah. that or yeah. look for that opportunity to lay a third base and let yes. that be the break through the through the thing so yes. so yeah we we win through huge late game swing rounds through move and organize after we've layered our start with lots of supporters lots of sympathy and well-positioned bases to operate out of and that's i mean that's actually it and it it isn't even as complicated as we made it sound today and i don't even feel like we made it sound that comp we probably did over complicate it in a few points but it's really a pretty basic idea that uh the woodland alliance are after they're a good faction and you know i think the only thing that can be a little complicated with starting them is understanding the economy yeah. of woodland alliance uh and playing them too uh being too scared yes. at first yeah i, I think so all yeah. right well but we it, yeah. have some uh so we finally need to get around to some winu errata uh and um i guess we're not really eroding like the interviews with dane and stuff um but we're gonna do Winu Arata. We're gonna do some other stuff, but we're gonna do that right after we uh, come back from the fade out. So let's let's jump over to Arata. Yeah. All right, welcome to Arata. This is a show hosted by me, Hunter Donaldson, fe- featuring frequent guest Matthew Martins. Hello. Um, Hello. Uh, good, to, good to see you again, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for um, having me. So we're going to talk about mistakes that we made. Um, that's why I invited you, because you full of mistakes. Um, <laughs> this first errata, is, this this is uh, in regards to the Winu guide. Yeah. Lol. Lol. Um, As if there's anything to mess up there. But right. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> R-Wise says, Omega Diplo is pretty good. Round one or round two. Round one it helps people with warfare leadership and tech, yes, but that's only half the table. And to start with, the whole table is better off, so count it as a net positive. This is sort of the same My- thing as the Sardak point, right? In the guide we did with the Sardak, which is like, you really mm-hmm. don't have anything to lose, man. Yeah, it does right. help them a lot, but come on. <laughs> you you, yeah. you got nothing. Yeah, might get to, it, it might get you some skips if you can wrangle um, good trade timing, uh, round two can give uh, low number access to Mechatol Rex because it's the number is the two, um, and actually use it with Hegemonic for six extra resources to build with Mechatol Rex a turn. You get it. That's fair. Um, otherwise, I think I think Winu is a kind of go for broke situation. Yeah. So I mean, nothing's off the table as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Milty adds to that to say that's probably a point that's not commented on enough regarding diplomacy, uh, Omega diplomacy specifically, is now that you can ready Mechatol with it, it is significantly better. And if we're focusing on that Mechatol Winu, which you have to, it's the only option for now, uh, right. You th- th- the idea that you could yellow skip to Hegemonic, 
then round two, take Mechatol, uh, build a bunch of stuff there, refresh it, and then get two command counters is pretty awesome. Or even in yeah. any round, in round four, the idea that you can build eight units on Mechatol Rex and then refresh and get your command counters back or vice versa is... Megatol Rex is a very, very, very good system for Winu, especially with Omega Diplo. And I feel like that is a point we just didn't harp on enough. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, it looks like that's it. We just got those that's two, it. huh? That's all the um, errata. Yeah, that's it. Um, I, I did want to add to Milty's point, though, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, when he says that now that you can ready Megatol, it's significantly better. He does mean just for hegemonic, right? Like, I can't think of any other reason that you would want to ready mechatol can you yeah is, no is it's, it's a hegemonic situation i mean the idea yeah. that you're going to ready it twice is also just like i can do the command counters and then i can score eight influence or whatever like there are little obviously oh, side yeah, yeah, yeah. track things good, good but catch. primarily it's the idea of using hegemonic and getting your command counters because that's no, honestly that's, that's a solid reason yeah. right there though actually yeah. Yeah. that's a solid case i just wasn't thinking sure um, so we want to thank all of our Space Kitties and Weird Bears, our Weird Bears, Farganess, Brian, and TG Welch, and our Space Kitties, Naderade, Patience is a Virtue, Polyphony Requiem, RYs, Hippie Peace, Heroes, Gaskio, Dark Jutsu, More Tension, Bop and Absol. Hunter, what's coming up on the Patreon? Yeah, okay, I got some updates for y'all real quick. Um, we have a Hunter Donaldson fan club quote, or a poll, not a quote, um, and this is for the August game that we haven't scheduled yet. We don't have a date for it because one of them is a in real life game that we will have to schedule around doing it in real life um so the your first option is um the nuzlocke game variant which if you don't know what nuzlocke is come into the discord and ask because i don't really know what it is either <laughs> um it's something ej made up and and i don't think that anyone's ever really played it i think there's been um, one nuzlocke game ever fine um so <laughs> ej matt and me will play that in real life um or your other option is we play a game with audience agendas. Um, that either would be fun. Obviously, the one in real life would be pretty wild. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm basically game for either. Yeah. Um, as for Galactic Council episode, obviously this month's is supposed to be partners in TI. We are waiting so that I can receive the um, results from the COVID test I took yesterday. Um, and I hope I pass. Um, <laughs> need really but, need an A. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to get an A in that class. Um, but I have new options for the September Galactic Council episode uh, up. So if you're in the Galactic Council or would like to join, please get in there and vote on one of these possible episode titles um, or <laughs> titles, subjects, I guess. Um, so the first one would be uh, uh, Prophecy of Kings Reveal Update. We uh, it, Just in case you didn't know, there's an expansion announced for Twilight Imperium. Um, and there's been a lot of new material um, some of it we've talked in the show, obviously, about, um, and some of it uh, is just part of the announcement stuff, and we would be down to just have an episode where we go over everything that's been announced yeah. thus far. Yeah, the big um, thing here would be stuff that's, like, been uncovered, like, people have looked through the German announcement, and, like, yes. this random thing, and, like, like Wecker is on the Discord, like, enhancing and, in, in, you know, making little detective cases for what a different abilities are so we would break down that stuff and just try to get a better look at what prophecy of kings uh is it would be i just want to be clear though it would be stuff that is already out there it wouldn't be you know like it's not like we would be able to reveal new stuff um although we we will be revealing little new components every episode which we probably should have already mentioned but it's out there 
Um, and we will do it in just a second. But let me let me finish this list real quick. Um, so the second option would be expansion wish list epilogue, where we talk about how our expansion wish list episodes that we did quite a while ago, how they compare to what we are getting. I think that sounds like a fun, we would obviously re-listen to our wish list and then say, you know, how close do we get to what we're actually getting? Um, The next option is a state of the root tournament. Um, Right now we are in the process of developing a root tournament with um, kind of the council of people that kind of help write all these uh, episodes (laughs) at this point. (laughs) We basically Um, have five other members of the root episodes uh, when this podcast exists and they're also a part of the tournament team. So (laughs) yes. So, so we talk about where we're at with that and maybe kind of theory craft what uh, could become of that. Um, The next option is uh, we talk about uh, our twilight Imperium goat for the base game era. Um, in a competitive sense, we talk about all of the competitive players, uh, that we have seen over the two years of competitive base game TI. And we kind of have a debate on who we think is the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. uh, because that era of TI is closing and it's closing quickly. Yep. I mean, I, as far as I know, there are no major tournaments between now and and November when the expansion la- uh, launches. So we're basically kind of at the end of an era yeah. of the game when it comes to competitive play. Um, and the last option option is fairly generic, um, root uh, maps. We just talk about all of the maps available uh, for root and kind of analyze them. I've been kind of meaning for us to kind of get around to an episode like this, so I would totally be down to do that. Yeah. Um, real quick, my Twitch schedule for this week. Um, it's Everything's still a little weird with me, but... I'm looking to play Root on Thursday. My internet keeps going out in the middle of the day, which could be a problem. Um, But I want to try and play uh, Root on Thursday. And then this uh, Saturday, August 15th, we are playing the Twilight Imperium scenario included in the Codex. Um, I believe we're playing that at 10 a.m. Central. I think think we're aiming for 10 a.m. It may get pushed to like 11 a.m., but we're aiming for 10 a.m. So during the day Saturday, we will play the brand new scenario um, that re- that it it includes the faction tech for the Argent, Argent flight. flight. Yeah, yeah. Necro um, new- has Argent Flight's tech, and then the Argent Flight flagship is a part of it, and it's actually like a King of the Hill with a moving Argent Flight flagship instead of Mechatorex. It seems really cool. It also seems like goofy as all get out. Like there's yes. lots of questions about like what are we supposed to do when this happens? And I feel like Dane's response has been like, I don't know, man. Come on, have fun with a toy. Leave me alone. Right. Uh, right. So <laughs> all power to him. Uh, but I, I'm excited for that stream uh, because I'm just excited to do like a. Di- play ti in a completely different way that isn't like a franken or what it's like no here's a completely new goal with all the yes. same mechanisms you're used to that that sounds I love very it. fun uh I love the it. YouTube, please tune in please watch that yeah youtube you've got what the woodland alliance game with bot bot as an awesome woodland alliance player yeah so neither so of us did- you're playing in it you're there and you witness right. somebody better at Woodland Alliance than us. I think that's great. I wish we did that more often of just like, hey, look, Magi did a great L1 game. Let's use that for the demonstration for the guide. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's really hard to kind of rig all this to like, to basically we have an episode about a specific faction yeah. and then also we happen to have a game that's fresh that we just played where we did really well. Like, um, I just felt like I played this game with bot bot where he just like really nailed, like I think the platonic ideal of a Woodland Alliance game. Um, so I have it up there as an example. So please check that out. That should be dropping in a couple days. Uh, you can also find more about us at spacecatspeaceturtles.com. Boom. New website. Love it. Super excited yeah, for that. Do it. Uh, that's where you can find our discords and our Patreon and all of that stuff. Come be a part of the, uh, conversation. Uh, you can also rate us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, 
Google Play, whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a rating and that increases our visibility. We got to get to the rest, the last little meaty, awesome thing we're doing today because we get access to a couple more components. Dane has gifted us some more stuff to reveal for Prophecy of Kings. This is all new. This is new stuff. We're going to yes. show off new stuff from the expansion, basically at the end of every episode, if we can manage it. Yep. Um, so every single episode of Space Cats Peace Turtles from now until the expansion is released has a little mini reveal at the very end yep. of it. So yeah. what do we got today? So, And I will say this too. Every week will be a faction-related thing and a non-faction-related thing. So today we have Hakan's mech and we also have a, a relic. So first off, Hakan's mech. Are you ready, Hunter? Yes, I'm excited. I am... <laughs> I'm so thrilled about this unit. Hakan's mech is the pride of Kanara. Costs two, has a combat of six. It has sustained damage like all mechs do. Here's its ability. This planet's planet card may be traded as part of a transaction. If you do, move all of your units from this planet to another planet you control. I can just give you planets now, and then I get like a mini transit diodes to Nuts. move this wherever I Nuts. want. Yeah, it's to one other planet. So I'm just going from this planet to another planet. But I mean, I can have gone way too far out. You know, it's taking a planet from somebody else, and then I can sell it back to them, send my unit back home to go defend my home system or whatever I want to do. This is amazing. So now Hakan gets to trade on anybody's turn, uh, and like without any adjacency, and they can trade action cards and they can trade planets themselves as long as a mech is on it. That yes. is so exciting. <laughs> I can feel the game length growing. Mm -hmm. Just as you read that, I can feel the game getting longer. <laughs> and the other thing we have to reveal is the Shard of the Throne Relic. This seems like a fun one to reveal because the Shard of the Throne agenda is gone. We used to have the Crown of Amphidia that gave a point, but if you lost the planet in your home system, you lost a point. And then you had the Shard of the Throne, and if you lost the combat you lost the shard point. And there was also all that goofiness, you know, with if it got, if you got the um, law repealed, you would actually keep the point. Yeah. Um, shard of the Throne, the relic, works a little bit different. It says, when you gain this card, gain one victory point. When you lose this card, lose one victory point. When a player gains control of a legendary planet you control or a planet you control in your home system, that player gains this card. So it's kind of, this is now kind of the bridge between old Shard of the Throne and Crown of Amphidia. Uh, right. And now it's just about either legendary planets, of which there are only four possible in the game, right? Uh, I believe right. that's what we know of. Is, is There's Mirage, the one that comes up uh, through exploration. There's Hope's End and Primer. And then there's Malice, the Wormhole Nexus planet. Those are the four legendary planets that we know of. Um, so very few of these per game. But if you get the shard uh, and you either lose a planet in your home system or one of those, you give up the shard and, and the, the point crash, you know, jumps around the table, but a little bit less easily than the old shard did. So I'm excited for this. Um, it's, it doesn't have any jank to it where you just like get to lose the card and then nobody gets the point anymore. Like no matter what, it's a hot potato for the rest of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Man, that's so crazy. Um, I am really, really excited about um, 
playing the expansion yeah. and, and, and ha- being able to reveal stuff at the end of every episode is uh, going to be super Little excited. Treat. Thanks, Dane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And I, and I think this relic is like a huge improvement on yes. both, both of those agendas. Yeah. And it's, it is like. a sign of like what Dane was trying to do with some of the exploration and fixing, you know, getting rid of all of those elect planet. We've already seen the stuff like gain two influence or like gain a yellow tech skip has been integrated into the exploration deck. So that stuff also is now stuff that will be, actually attached to planets rather than like these weird cards that were kind of are existing alongside the planets but don't really make any sense he basically got to take that idea and make it something that actually works which is is very very exciting yeah that rules that rules super rules um this is gonna be weird weird energy way to, to go end on. all, we're all excited now. so so for more for more uh, updates and reveals tune oh, in next week same cat time same cat channel All right, well, bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. Thank you to all our patrons, and thank you to Brian Capillus for the use of his music. You can find more at wanderinglake.bandcamp.com. (laughs) 